Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. It was grace. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear, the first The Lord. The Lord has promised good to His word, my hope, secures. He will my shield and portion be as long as life do when we've been there 10,000 years when we've been there 10,000 years bright shining as the sun we know his days to sing as great then If you know the Chris Tomlin, my chains are gone. I've been set free. My God, my Savior has ransomed me. And like a flood, His mercy reigns unending. AV, I am not. You taught me well. So, good evening, everybody. Uh, are we on? We live as well? So, good evening to those at home, potentially, maybe. Maybe yes, maybe no. We good? Okay. So, this evening, we're going to be continuing, continuing in our um, living life as a church um, discussions, classes, and so forth. Uh, Jonathan's going to be grabbing the handouts to hand out uh, in just a few minutes. Um, tonight, we're going to be talking about the topic of discontentment, and this is going to pertain to discontentment within the church. Um, as you know, over the last several weeks, which I... When I started looking at this uh, previously and then looked at it on Monday and kind of started putting this together, um, it dawned on me, we're in class seven already. That's amazing. So tonight's topic is discontentment within the church. Previously, we've covered unity. We've covered membership, diversity, preaching and prayer, governance, 
and church fellowship. Uh, tonight we'll be discussing uh, discontentment within the church. So we ask that uh, you have certain materials with you. Uh, we do ask that you bring a Bible, either a paper version or an electronic version, either is fine. Uh, we encourage you to bring a notebook and a pen. If you need a pen, we do have a cup of pens available that you can, uh, you can borrow. Jonathan is handing out the handouts, uh, which they are uh, self-serve, um, fold them. And then the last thing we ask that you bring is uh, a measure of enthusiasm. Any size, any shape, any form will do fine, just some enthusiasm for the topics. Um, so why are we doing this particular curriculum at Cornerstone in particular as part of what we call SOHOP? Well, at Corner Cornerstone Church, we believe in biblical covenant membership. And we believe that this program, this curriculum, will allow us to attain a better understanding on uh, what it means to be a local church member, as well as a member of the church universe of the Church of Christ. As a reminder, this membership, both in the local church and the Church of Christ, uh, helps us to identify ourselves as a body of believers, helps us to recognize our responsibilities to each other, and ultimately our commitment to each other and our commitment to the church and our commitment to Christ. So let's get started in discontentment. Questions to think about. So discontentment is something we all struggle with at one time or another. And discontentment within the church can be particularly difficult. So by a show of hands, if you've ever been, let me see if you've ever been part of a perfect church. Raise your hands. Perfect church. Perfect church. Bueller? Bueller? So, fortunately, at least here in the, in, the, uh, in, the, in the church, no one raised their hand. But if you at home raised your hand, I can guarantee you that, that was the wrong answer. I can guarantee it's the wrong answer because that church, that perfect church, this is going to hurt, but had you in it. We are broken, fallen vessels. It's those that we love the most who can hurt us the most. It's the group for which we have the highest expectations, the body of Christ, which can let us down the most. I'd like you to think back and see if you, see if you can recall the last time that you were dis deeply, deeply disappointed by another church member, either here or another church or a church you visited or, uh, or so forth. Or think about the last time you kind of felt like the church itself let you down. Maybe it had been months since you joined and you kind of still felt like an outsider, or maybe the congregation was unconcerned about a particular priority that mattered a lot to you. Difficulties like these are so easily led, or these so easily lead to discontentment. And it's how we respond to discontentment that can be a great enemy of the unity as a church. However, I want to point out that discontentment can be an incredible force for good. In a moment, we're going to talk a little more about how discontentment arises. But at the very beginning here, I'd like you to think about and talk about some discontentment that can be really incredibly damaging. A couple of questions to think about. And feel free to raise your hand and answer if, if, uh, if you, if you um, would like to. So what are some of the ways that our response to discontentment can harm the unity in the church? What are some ways that our response to discontentment can harm unity in the church? 
Mike. Absolutely. Creates factionism. Good answer. There'll be uh, George Washington after the... for you. Yes, ma'am. Absolutely. Just this idea of, of um, a different direction, a, a thought that's heading a different, different way. Good, good. Anybody else? So question two, how can a good response disappointment strengthen the church and we'll define these as we move through so there's a little bit of a hook here so how can a good response to disappointment strengthen the church instead of creating factions it can actually pull the church closer together right instead of the division or the factionism that we talked about it could actually bring people closer together and move together as body of Christ Like all adversity, we know that God gives us the grace to work through discontentment, and he intends it to serve his glory and our good. So how can we promote unity when we encounter discontentment within the church? That's the purpose of our class tonight. Before we go any further, let me offer a bit of definitional clarity. So tonight's class isn't going to address how we should respond to clear sin within the church. Lord willing, we'll cover that topic later in the month, or, or maybe next month, when, we are, uh, when we're thinking about and talking about church discipline. Nor will tonight's class specifically address discontentment that comes from disagreement with leadership. That will also be covered uh, later in our class on church leadership. <clears throat> Instead, I'd like to think about uh, think of today's topic as sort of a, a mirror image of our prior class where we thought about how we can grow in unity together through our love for each other. Today we'll consider how we respond to aspects of our church that are not necessarily sinful and yet can be, cause, can be the cause of unhappiness and therefore a potential source of disunity and discouragement. And as previously mentioned, it's worth pointing out that discontentment isn't always bad. Maybe you've been disappointed in a church because uh, they don't give much to missions, let's say. That could actually be godly discontent. But we can still respond in a way that is damaging to the church. So let's begin by examining the negative effect that discontentment can have on a church. Then we'll think through some ideas of how we, together, should deal with discontentment in a God-honoring way. And then we'll consider, consider... two specific categories of discontentment. Through this, my prayer is that we will all be better equipped to work for the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, as we, as we are commanded to do in Ephesians. So first, in what ways can discontentment affect church unity? Let's look at the bitter fruit. The bitter fruit from poor responses to discontentment. We might want to define discontentment as a longing for something better than the present situation. The longing for something better than the present situation. There can be godly discontent for sure. We know for a fact that in this world, uh, that this world is broken by sin and should be better 
But there can be sinful discontentment where we refuse to trust God's goodness and extend gratitude for his provision, but instead demand more than he has ordained. Also, even if our discontentment is godly, we can still put our hope in the circumstances, in the circumstances instead of in God, to make it better. And discontentment, even when spurred by godly desires, can bear bitter fruit if we respond in the wrong way. So let's look at three ways in which discontentment, if not properly handled, can harm the witness of the church. Discontentment first can lead to complaining and grumbling. Paul warns us in the book of Philippians, in uh, chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. You who shine as lights in the world. Don't complain or grumble in anything, ever. That's what Scripture is telling us. Part of the way in which our witness should be compelling to the world around us is that we don't complain. It's a freaky, weird concept to the world. And weird is good, by the way. Now, if you have your Bibles with you, turn to James 5, 9, and we have it up here as well. Do not complain, brothers and sisters, against one another, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. When we don't properly address discontentment, it leads to grumbling. We damage one of the characteristics that make us distinct as Christians. We harm the church's witness. Number two, discontentment can lead to discord. When we're, unha- when we're unhappy with something, we're tempted to talk about it. We criticize. It's in our nature. We rally support, right? Trying to get people to see things from our point of view, and no matter the virtue of our initial concern, this type of behavior can quickly cause factions and dissension within the church. Something that Paul lists alongside idolatry, witchcraft, fits of rage, these sorts of things when he writes about the acts of the sinful nature in Galatians um, 5, 19 through 21. We must be careful as members of the body of Christ to address discontentment because of the discord that it can produce. Number three. Discontentment distracts from what really matters. Discontentment distracts from what really matters. As individuals and as a church, our charge is to, as Ephesians 5.16 points out, make the most of every opportunity. So let's read Ephesians 5.15-17. So then, be careful how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Discontentment consumes our time and our attention. It saps our energy. It monopolizes the time and attention attention of our fellow brothers and sisters. 
It often confuses the congregation. It distracts the elders. And ultimately, it can draw attention away from what really matters. This is some of the bitter fruit that discontentment, discontentment can bear in our life together as a church. But remember, that discontentment can strengthen the body as well. When we respond in a way that is godly, when we submit to each other for the sake of Christ and do the hard work of love, when we do the hard work of love, we can bring great glory to God. We show that our unity doesn't rest on perfect agreement or compatible personalities, but on a shared hope and satisfaction that rests in Christ. To see that in action, let's think about ways we can address discontentment in a way that is God-glorifying. Number three, how should we address discontentment? We're going to go over four suggestions, but these aren't necessarily a to-do list or a formula. As within any other area of the Christian life, what we need ultimately isn't a list of action steps, but to understand how the gospel of God's grace transforms the way we respond to discontentment. We want to be able to say, along with Paul, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am in. I am. Philippians 4.11. These are four ways, then, of applying the good news of God's patience to us so that we, by his spirit and strength, can be patient with one another. First and foremost, pray for God's mercy. The gospel tells us that we are unable to do anything of value in our strength, in our own strength, and that includes responding to discontentment. Remember Psalm 121, verses 1 and 2. I will raise my eyes to the mountains. From where will my help come? My help comes from the Lord who has made heaven and earth. So our first guideline is to pray and cry out for God's mercy. It's foolish to think that we're mature enough to address discontentment under our own power. When something about the church or someone in the church rubs you the wrong way, You're about to enter a spiritual battle, my friend. Satan wants nothing more than to destroy us with bitterness, to destroy us with pride, and to destroy us with revenge. We can justify giving in to temptation when we feel like we're in the right. So when you encounter the sense of discontentment, stop and pray. You need to pray. You're waging a war that you can't win on your own. Pray that God would give you discernment and wisdom through his word. Pray that God would identify any sinful desires in your own heart and replace them. Pray that he will fuel your heart with the love of Christ. We would honor God God far more if we tried to fix things ourselves less often and spent more time pleading with God to fix us. Next, examine your desires. Confess and repent of those that are sinful. Examine your own heart to understand the desires that are at the root of our or your discontentment. 
Where is there sin that we must confess? Where are there desires that should be satisfied in Christ, but that we're wrongly seeking to satisfy in comfort or in, uh, in respect to another? James writes in chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is the source not your pleasures that wage war in your body's parts? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. And you're envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. James, James cuts right to the bone. He gets right to the connection between discontentment and our circumstances. We often feel discontent because we're, we're putting our hope in our circumstances rather than our hope in God. But just like the winds, circumstances change. And God does not. Rest in the fact that God does not change. He's the same yesterday. He's the same today. He's the same forever. So is there a fight or quarrel? Then there are ungodly desires in your heart to deal with. For example, maybe you're unhappy because some people are better friends with a member than you are or uh, within a, a group of people. Well, what's at the root of that discontentment? Is it because you feel that such friendship maybe conveys some sort of special status that you covet? Is it because you're jealous of a friendship that seems so close? Ask God. Ask God to identify those sin areas in your life and confess it as for what it is. It's sin. Think hard about the root problem. What are the desires behind the emotions of discontentment? Are you putting your hope in people's approval rather than Christ's provision for you? The gospel declares that God's approval of you in Christ is sufficient. Are you frustrated that seemingly no one in the church understands your struggles and your desire to be heard? The gospel declares that God sees you and guides you. Are you discontent because you feel... <clears throat> You feel you deserve better treatment than you've received? Remember the gospel's call to lay down your life as well as your rights for the sake of Christ. That's guideline number two. Examine your desires and repent. Third, we should strive to see the church and everyone in it the way that God does. That means we should view others through the lens of love not disappointment or suspicion. Again, and always, the gospel is crucial here. It reminds us that in Christ, God has lavished his riches of forgiveness on us in spite of our sin. As we grow in the understanding of the depth of his grace and our hearts are filled with gratitude, we can finally, finally begin to see others the way he sees them as treasured saints whom he washed, cleansed, and renewed. They're not our enemies, but they're our dear brothers and sisters in Christ. Sure, they may misunderstand us, guaranteed. Let us down all the time. Frustrate us. I'm sure I've metered out my share of frustration. And disappointed us. 
But because of Christ's sacrifice, God doesn't give up on them or withdraw from them, and neither should we. How do we grow in viewing others not from a selfish, discontented perspective, from a God, but from God's vantage point? There's a couple of simple ideas. First, always pray for others and find ways that you can love them in concrete ways. When you're unhappy with someone in the church, pray for that person. Pray, God, uh, pray that God would prosper their desires for him. Pray that God would help you understand the worth that they bear as his children. And express that concern in other forms of service. Send them an encouraging email or provide, a, provide for a physical need. Choosing to love someone as an extremely prat, at, a, excuse me, at an extremely practical level can be one of the best ways to soften our own hearts in the midst of discontentment. Now you might be thinking to yourself, and you can call yourself self if you want to, you might say yourself self, only if you're on a first name basis. If my heart is saying negative things inside while I'm saying encouraging things on the outside, isn't that the height of hypocrisy? Good thought, but I don't think so. Disciplining, disciplining yourself to work towards the good of another, even when your feelings incline somewhere else, is part of what it means to persevere in love and love sacrificially, just as we discussed in prior weeks. And God can use that action then to warm and repair our own hearts and to gain the affection that's lacking inside of ourselves. Second, consider how God values others. Consider how God values others. In Philippians 2, 3, Paul says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility consider one another as more important than yourselves. Why should you consider another church member as more significant than yourself? Is it because they're maybe more capable or more godly? No, not at all. It's because they are Christ's possession. He has bought them with his blood. They are precious in God's sight. Much, uh, much selfish discontentment begins because we're, we've elevated our worth and importance over those around us. let him leave so for example let's say I'm impatient with someone because they maybe don't volunteer at church and my attitude towards them is how dare they consider their time more valuable than mine don't they realize how busy I am yet I still serve look at me right pounding my chest I would do well to refocus my concern away from the value of my time and more towards the value of those other Christians. Christ gave his life for them. That's how I'll turn my thoughts from contempt to love. I may still seek to talk to them about how serving the church is a good thing for their own sake and for the sake of the body, and yet, Lord willing, my motivation instead will be Christ's love, not selfish ambition. Fourth, Speak truth, but speak it in love. 
How you choose to share the specifics of your discontentment with others affects whether that discontentment spreads or if it subsides. So what should you talk about and how should you talk about it? Just a couple, few simple suggestions. Oops. It's a good practice to work through these things in the same manner we've talked about so far. Prayer, examine your own desires, seek to see others as God sees them. Before you speak with someone about your area of unhappiness, you should do these things. Are you wanting to either confess sin or collaborate to encourage the church? If your conversation doesn't fall into one of those two categories, then what you're preparing to talk about could be in danger of falling into complaining or grumbling. When you think it's good to talk with someone, talk constructively about how you two can better serve the church. Simply using a conversation to let off steam or to seek affirmation of your discontentment will really likely result in just spreading that discontentment. The temptation to sin and anger can be really strong and something against which we should always guard ourselves and guard our hearts. Let your words be constructive. Let them be designed to build up. Recognize your responsibility as a church member. We'll talk a little more about this in class number nine, Lord willing. But suffice it to say that Jesus in Matthew 18 lays out very clear steps for dealing with sin within the church. And the first step is to confront the individual you suspect of sin. With very few exceptions, if you're talking with anyone else about that sin, then you are likely acting as a gossip and possibly a slanderer. As elders, we've had people in the past come to us individually with a concern about what someone else is doing or someone else said with the expectation for one of us or all of us to fix the problem for them. And with very few exceptions, our counsel is usually for the complaining person to first talk with the offending person directly. That's how things should work in the church but we'll have more on that in a later class. Be careful how you speak about an issue publicly. Some things in the church are unclear and unimportant. Some things are unclear and unimportant. Others are important, but unclear. That's where you need the elders. If something is both important and clear, say the divinity of Christ, the authority of scripture, then speaking publicly, even in a members meeting, even if it's against the elders, Lord willing, we would never break any of what we consider the primary things, then that's potentially a good thing. Of course, of course, we want you to get counsel on this ahead of time, both from the elders and if warranted from godly leaders that you respect outside of the church. But if it's not in that category of both serious and clear from Scripture, you should not speak publicly against leadership or others. Instead, you should register your thoughts with them privately. So again, the four guidelines for addressing discontentment. First, pray. 
Second, understand your desires and repent of what is sin. Third, see others as God sees them. And fourth, speak. Speak truth, but speak it in love. Take a brief water break. So in our, <clears throat> in our remaining time together, I'd like to go over a few more practical, uh, or get even more practical in discussing how we should address three common situations um, that are in the church that can cause discontentment. Some of this that we're going to be talking about may sound a little harsh, but it is truth. The church isn't meeting my needs. The church isn't meeting my needs. One specific area of discontentment we can off, that we often can feel is that the church isn't meeting our needs. However common this might be, we need to recognize it for what it is. It's a selfish demand that the church serve me. But we've talked extensively in this course previously about the reason for church. It's not ultimately to surround ourselves with social relationships in which we can find uh, contentment or fulfillment. The ultimate purpose of the body of Christ, of believers, of the church, is to glorify God by showing off his power in a diverse community of united, loving believers. So to fight this form of discontentment, we need to learn that we are not the most important thing. That hurts. We are not the most important thing. God is. And to him be the glory. And we need to learn where true joy comes from. Unlike how the world thinks, joy in the Christian life doesn't come from being a consumer of blessing, but being a giver of blessings. The point of the church isn't to have our needs met. The church is a living organism where we invest ourselves to meet the needs of others and build them up in Christ. Will we receive blessing from others who love and serve and teach us? Yes, absolutely. Will there be times when we're, when we're so weak we simply can't serve anyone else and we're dependent on the love of others? Absolutely. But our normal posture towards the body of, uh, to the body of believers is to seek our ultimate joy by laying down our lives for the joy of others. True joy comes from the serving of others. <clears throat> have we ever heard or ever said the church has disappointed my expectations for fellowship and growth though we might desire to serve the church selflessly but still feel a lingering disappointment with the way we are <clears throat> in the church a lack of fellowship or a feeling like you don't belong or a lack of growth maybe you've been a member of a church for a while and you're finding it difficult to make friends Maybe you want to serve, but no one seems to recognize it. Or you can't serve in a way that is really fitted to what you feel are your giftings. Maybe you're frustrated with the culture of the church. So how do we deal with this kind of discontentment? Guess what? Pray. 
Examine your heart. Ask the hard questions. We're following a pattern here, aren't we? We should approach situations like this with prayer every time. We should search our hearts and determine whether these things stem from selfish and ungodly desires. We should ask ourselves the hard questions. Are there things that I need to do differently to experience better fellowship in the church or to take advantage of the opportunities to grow? We should ask that of ourselves and of others that we know and trust. We should receive their counsel and input. Then we should pursue whatever appropriate action steps may be. That might involve talking to a pastor to get his thoughts on what you should do. Talking with one of the elders, getting input. Once again, a trusted advisor outside of the church. A believer. If you're struggling to make relationships, more than likely, there are others in the church that feel the same way. So I'd encourage you to take the initiative to reach out to them. God can satisfy your good desires, but he sometimes does it in a way different than we ourselves had planned. Be ready for God to answer your prayers in a surprising way. One more thing, much of what this battle entails is training our minds to understand the many benefits and blessings that God has in his kindness given to us as the church. Oftentimes we receive one blessing after another and then take it for granted, then we toss it aside and then we're looking for more, right? And all the while as we're crying out for something else, there's this growing pile of blessings over here rising up that we continue to ignore and ignore. Pray that God would train us to see all of our blessings he's given us within the church, and that will affect our heart and our attitude. That said, there may come a time when you find that a particular church, despite its grounding in God's word, isn't a place where you're growing spiritually. What should you do? First, we ask that you talk to the elders. Seek wisdom. Seek counsel. Pray. Be willing to meet and be willing to unpack what you're experiencing. Be willing to invest time and energy into understanding. The last thing you should do is to decide on your own that you need to leave, go to a different church, only to discover the same root issues coming up in your new church home. Lastly, and if appropriate, seek the counsel of others outside of the church after you have prayed and confessed any sin. When you do talk, remember to be careful with how you discuss your discontentment. Don't let it become a cause for discord within the larger body of Christ. And third, I have a hard time liking that person over there. Amen. That's not where I like to get the testimony. Another cause of discontentment is simply, as much as I hate to say it, but dislike of another church member. Maybe it's envy. Maybe it's rivalry. You resent the blessings that God may have lavished on someone else. Or maybe it's a basic feeling of discomfort. Someone behaves in a way that's radically different from what you're accustomed to. Or someone works for an organization or a political party that you loathe 
how do you work through areas of discontentment like this? Again, what's the pattern that we've established? Pray. Pray that God would change your heart. Confess sin. Seek God's forgiveness. Recognize that a desire not to love a brother or sister is a sin. It's not something we can brush aside as merely being incompatible. Learn to pray for people whom you dislike, that God would bless and mature them and you. Consider that these individuals, though broken, imper- bro- though broken and imperfect, imperfect today, are also being transformed in their own walk into Christ's likeness with ever-increasing glory. Loving those whom we find uncomfortable isn't easy. I think there's a song about that. But as members of a church, it's incredibly important because it's through those type of relationship that God gets the glory. We overcome those imperfections. In conclusion, at the root of discontentment is the idea that things would be better if some person or situation would just simply change, right? But that's precisely why we must put our hope in God and not in our circumstances. So praise God that we don't have to cling to the weak and temporary hopes of this world. He has given us himself as our anchor. He is sovereign over our circumstances. He was sovereign when Noah was being mocked, when Joseph was in the pit, when Israel was in slavery, and when David was being hunted, and when Christ was on the cross. God is sovereign. His goodness always prevails. And in him we can find the true joy of contentment. Let's pray. Father God, I'm grateful that we're able to gather together for your glory and our joy. Father, I pray that you will examine our hearts and point out areas in our lives where the bitter root of discontentment grows and that we realize that uh, we have to move to the forefront that which is of most importance. God, let us see each other through your eyes, not our own. God, I thank you for gathering your your people together tonight. And I thank you for the opportunity to just speak. God, I pray that the, the opportunity that we have will help us grow together as a body of Christ to bring you glory and honor. I pray these things through the power of the Holy Spirit and in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Rusty.